Welcome to the Table Community Church Podcast. The Table is located in the Gallatin Valley in Southwest Montana and is joining God in bringing people together around the good news of Jesus. If you have any questions or if there is in any way we can serve you, please let us know by reaching out to hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. We hope you enjoy the following episode. Hey everyone, I hope you are doing well this week. Thank you for tuning in with us as we are continuing our series called Life Around the Table. Now, Life Around the Table, this series is simply about figuring out how we can, as a church and as individuals, navigate the challenges and conflicts that we are finding in our culture, in our personal lives, in the church, and how we can grow closer to God and each other during this time. And so we're looking at principles and practices in Scripture that we can integrate here and now to move us in the right direction, to practice the way of Jesus in this culture of hostility and angst, and anxiety. How can we get there? And so that's what this series has been about. And it's been really cool to hear testimonies from you guys of what you've been taking away, how you've been interacting with the with the conversations. And so please keep that please keep those coming because this is all new to us. The way we're doing teaching and gatherings, and and it seems to be the case that things are changing week by week. And so I'm so thankful for your involvement. Well, today we're going to continue on by looking at the topic of Thanksgiving, and this seems pretty relevant as we are approaching Thanksgiving this week. And if you're somebody who likes to take notes, the teaching is simply called practicing thankfulness. Practicing thankfulness. And so we say practicing because like everything else we've talked about during this series, it takes work, effort, intentionality, discipline, all the above. And so it's about practicing. It's not about perfecting, but about practicing. And so practicing thankfulness. And we're going to be in Psalm 136. And Psalm 136 is called the Great Hallel. And Hallel is where we get this word hallelujah, which means praise be to God. It's a song, a shout of praise that is meant to be sung in the context of the congregation. And so one of the things you'll find is it says the steadfast love of God endures forever over and over and over. And so when I'm reading this text over over our home churches and online gathering, just keep in mind that as I say one phrase, the corporate group is supposed to say along with me, the love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever, over and over and over. And so it's a, it's a, it's a psalm that speaks to the corporate life of God's people as we celebrate who God is, what He has done in our lives and throughout history. It's got a rich history in the life of God's people. And so this psalm was basically shouted by God's people after every Passover meal. And that'll be important to remember as we move along. And so if you have your Bibles, Psalm 136, we're going to read it and then we'll just dive into the teaching. Okay, Psalm 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass in the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as, an, as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, well, you were supposed to say his steadfast love endures forever as I continued on reading the text. And so I know that's a long psalm, and it feels strange to say that over and over and over, but we'll get to why that's significant here in just a moment. But before we do anything, the message I want us to take away today is very simple, but I think you'll find it a little more difficult to integrate. It's simple yet challenging to integrate into our lives. And so the simple message for today is this. As Christians, our lives should be marked with a sort of thankfulness that points others to Jesus. Our lives should be marked with a thankfulness that points others to Jesus. So what this psalm is about is giving an acknowledgement, a testimony to God's goodness, a shout of thanksgiving. And this whole psalm moves us to the person and work of Jesus as we will find through this text. And so it's important to keep that in mind, that thankfulness here is not just an inner attitude. It is a complete way of life, a way of seeing the world, a way of being in the world. And it begins with God, as we'll see. And so what we are called to do is to express our thankfulness in such a way, to live in such a way that reflects the character of Jesus and points people to Him. In fact, even as we look into this psalm, we find the first, the, the first and the last sections are marked, bookend, by the idea of give thanks to God. It starts and completes with that. And so it bookends the psalm, and it kind of feels like it should bookend our lives as well. But I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving during this time, during this time in this year can be challenging. But one of the things you'll notice is that um, Thanksgiving is a popular topic that's being written about a lot. If you just Google search uh, Thanksgiving, you'll find article after article, and a lot of them say the same thing in different ways. Basically, what we have found is that Thanksgiving, at a horizontal level, as it affects our lives here and now, if, if people are thankful, if they're practicing um, Thanksgiving, 
they are far less depressed, anxious, they have longer lasting relationships, better relationships, and has even increased longevity in people's lives. There's a sense of goodness that comes from giving thanks, you know, but for our secular society, thanksgiving is, is basically an attitude that you muster up. It's a way of thinking about your situation at a horizontal level, but what we find is that thanksgiving in scripture begins vertically and then it moves to horizontally. It begins with God. And so that's kind of the disposition I hope we have as we engage this psalm is that it is a worldview, a way of being in the world. It's not just an emotion or an attitude. And so we're going to just define two statements that help us move to becoming thankful people, not just in emotion and attitude, but in way of being in the world. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is being thankful is cultivated as we recover our awe of God. Being thankful is cultivated as we recover our awe of God. And so as we move into this psalm, thankfulness, what we find, doesn't begin with us mustering up a lot of emotion. It begins with capturing the right vision of who God is, and it's meant to leave us in awe. And so when we look at Psalm 136, especially the first three verses, we are given this instruction to thank God based on who He is. That's where it starts, with who He is. Not who we are, not what we've done, not what we feel, but who God is. And it tells us a couple of things. It tells us that God is personally involved and that He is powerfully ruling over all things. And because of that, we ought to respond with thanksgiving. And so for the first thing, He is personal. He is personal. It says, Give thanks to God, for He is good. Now, in order for something to be said that it is good, it has to be experienced. It has to be experienced. And so when we're saying that God is good, we're saying that we can actually experience the presence and person of God and that we can make a judgment based on our experience with Him that He is good, that that's who He's revealed Himself to be. He is good. And we know that God is personal from this because it even gives us the personal name of God, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, which is Yahweh. And so immediately before we get into any history of what God has done, it starts with remembering that God is personally involved and at work in our lives. He is both personal and powerful. And so this tells us that God is not some far off distant dictator. He is up close and personal with us. And the flow of the psalm does that. It starts with the cosmos and ends with up close and personal things like providing food for people. And so that's important to remember that he is personal. It also says that he is powerful. It says, give thanks to the God of gods. Now this phrase, God of gods, it's an idiom that means he is the mightiest of all beings. And so in the ancient world, they believed in many, many different gods. And a lot of times they put them on equal playing fields. And, uh, and it was about whose God is more powerful. Now, interestingly, the Bible doesn't come out and say that all these gods are fake. They say that they're false and empty and worthless. And so, but what this is saying is that God is the God over all beings, all spiritual beings, if that's the context in which the psalm was written. He is the God of gods over all spiritual things. And interestingly, it moves from the heavenly to the earthly, from the, from the spiritual to the physical, when it says He is the Lord of lords. This is saying He is the King over all earthly kings, over all rulers, over all presidents, over all 
forms of government. He is Lord of all. There is nothing outside his power, nothing outside of his control. He is sovereign over all things heavenly and earthly. And so immediately this is comforting to me because it doesn't matter who is actually on the various thrones that Christians can follow Jesus and trust God's sovereignty. This doesn't permit us to not be involved, but it permits us to have confidence as we are involved in the ways of the world. And it also means, it also means something that's kind of challenging for us today as well. It means that God is not only sovereign when who we don't want on the throne is on the throne. So for example, if, if the president-elect isn't the person you wanted, then it doesn't change God's sovereign it doesn't change God's sovereignty. And that should be very comforting to us as Christians. And so we give thanks to God because He is personal and powerful. And so what the first three verses are doing are they're painting this mesmerizing picture of who God is. And we're meant to like step back and go, man, that's God. That's who He is. He is good. He is sovereign. And because of that, I can give thanks and be at peace. There's nothing outside the scope of his control. Nothing's surprising him right now, even if it's surprising me. And that's profoundly comforting. It's this mesmerizing, mesmerizing painting. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times, a lot of, I think a lot of the issues in my life result out of the object of my awe not being God. And in fact, a lot of times when I'm more anxious, when I'm living in kind of obsessive fear every day, um, nervousness. I'm not able to get it to a place of contentment. A lot of times when I pray and I root around into the crevices of my life, I find that the object of my awe is misplaced, is that my awe is focused, my attention and allegiance is focused elsewhere, not on God. And that, that creates a sense of angst within me and within you. If our awe is not in God, it's going to be in something or someone. And if it's not God, we will feel like the structures we're standing on kind of shake and they don't support us the way we thought or hoped. And so I think that's why this is important because if our awe is not in God, we will find ourselves and feel empty. And when we feel empty, we simply will not cultivate thanksgiving. We won't be thankful people because we're constantly looking for something to fill us. Well, this opens up by saying it is the person of God. I love what Paul David Tripp says in one of my favorite books called Awe. He helps us locate the object of our awe just by asking a couple of questions. He says this. He says, in, he says, here is a simple way to do an awe check. Where do you experience the biggest moments of happiness or your darkest moments of sadness? What angers you or crushes you with disappointment? What motivates you to continue or make you feel like quitting? What do you tend to envy in the lives of others? Or where does your jealousy make you bitter? What makes you think your life is worth living or causes you to feel like your life is a waste. When you say, if I had only blank, how do you feel in that blank? What are you willing to make sacrifices for? And what in your life just doesn't seem worth the effort? Look at the highest joy and the deepest sorrows and you will find where you will reach for awe. And so what Tripp is saying here is that when we ask these questions, we can begin to discern the object of our awe. And if it's not God, displace it and then reorder our love and affection and allegiance and awe back towards God based on who He is. And a lot of times, 
readjusting our vision of God in the midst of even difficulty helps us develop a sense of comfort and peace and joy even when things are chaotic. And so recapturing our awe of God is critical to developing a thankful worldview in life. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that being thankful is cultivated as we remember the works of God. As we remember the works of God. And so it's not just about God's nature and who He is. It's about what He is doing and has done throughout history for the redemption of His people and reconciliation of all things as it culminates in Christ Jesus. And so we are looking to His works. And so as we do this, we will find our sense of awe even growing even more. You know, even this word in verse 4, it says, For he who does great wonders. That word wonders, it literally means deeds that inspire awe. And so we'll find our awe of God even deepening as we, as we rehearse the history of God and His works throughout the pages of Scripture and in our own lives and in our own times. And so rehearsing the works of God, that's what this psalm is entirely about. Section by section, it moves through redemptive history of God's people up until the point where they are singing the song together. And it just displays this sense of gratitude shows his power and love and involvement through his activity. I mean, when we look, we find that the first few verses are about creation, creation out of nothing. And then we move on and we find the story of the Exodus. God has delivered his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And then the wilderness, they're wandering in the wilderness, confused, perplexed, disobedient, all sorts of things going on in the wilderness, yet he led them through it. And then he leads them to victory in war. It was God's doing. It was God's bow and arrow, not our own, that, that conquered these kings. And so some of these kings, we don't really don't know too much about them, but we know that God led his people to have victory over them. And so think about that. They were in the wilderness. They had minimal resources, no, no social capital within the world. They didn't have a lot of wealth. They didn't even have a place to call home at this point. Yet, even in their complete inability, God led them. God did everything. And they're rehearsing this story over and over again. So this is a rehearsal of God's redemptive work that highlights His activity that inspires our awe. And so one of the things that's important is that this actually reminds us not only of His works, but our need for Him. When you go back and you look at the story, creation, we did nothing He created us. The Exodus, they did nothing. God did all of that. He sent Moses and by his power delivered them out. In the wilderness, they were hungry. They didn't have food. He gave them food and water and sustenance. Again, the military, they had no weapons or resources and yet they were delivered. They were small in number, small in weapons, yet became victorious. When we realize the works of God, we realize our need for Him. And so, this psalm, what I love about this psalm, is that it moves from those big moments of God's history into those small moments of daily provision of food. As as you look to verse 25, it says, He who gives food to all flesh for His steadfast love endures forever. And so, from the cosmos to up close and personal, God is at work, and for this they give thanks. So we're to think about that. From the Red Sea to the sandwich we ate, we are to be grateful for God's works and provision in our lives. 
And one of the things that we can do with this right off the bat is realize, look, those small things like the sandwich we ate, when we begin to be thankful for those things, those small things, you'll find yourself being thankful more often for more. And so when we only thank God with the big things in life, a lot of times we're not going to be developing a deep way of being thankful. And so it's just not going to happen. And so we have to find those everyday things to be thankful for God. Jesus says that in his Sermon on the Mount. Look at the birds. Look at those small things that God is doing. Be grateful for those. And so the danger of not looking to God's works and our need for God's works is that we become entitled. And entitlement is the opposite of gratefulness and thankfulness. Because what entitlement does is it says, I am owed things, I deserve things, and if I have things, it's because I have them, it's because I've earned them. And if I don't have things, it's either God's fault or it's someone else's. And this entitlement creates a sense of complaining when you don't have something, pride when you do, and it ignores the work of God in our lives. And that's a problem. And that's a, that's a lot of the posture and tone of our culture is this idea of entitlement. And so entitlement, it keeps us from seeing our need for God and loving God and loving others, and it keeps us from developing thankfulness. And so just rehearse that in your mind. You know, when you don't have something you want, you know, we tend to just go, well, that's somebody else's fault. Somebody's in my way or it's God's fault. Why isn't God giving me what I want? This text says God does all of the work. We are entitled to nothing, but He blesses us nonetheless, and He leads us and gives us what we need nonetheless. And if we rely only on ourselves, we will never be thankful because we will never feel like we have done enough or have enough. But if we rehearse the works of God, we will find over and over again how He has stepped in and how when we realize that He has met our needs, that we have to be thankful. We don't have a choice, really. Once we see God's work, it bursts out of us. You know, it's like, it's kind of like if someone buys you a car that you didn't, that you didn't pay for, that you didn't know was coming, and you couldn't afford it, but somebody hands you the keys to a brand new car and they say, hey, this is yours. You don't have to do anything for it. You would be foolish to say, look what I did. Look what I've earned. No, your only option is to just say, thank you, or in pride, reject the gift. But when we receive God's grace, we become thankful in that way. And so lastly, being thankful is cultivated as we relish in the loyal love of God. Being thankful is cultivated as we relish in the loyal love of God. Now, basic Bible study tells us that when you're looking at a text, circle those repeating words, find those repeating phrases, and you'll locate the point of the text or an important point about the text. And this psalm is easy. His steadfast love endures forever, 26 times, one time per verse, over and over and over again, to the point where if you're anything like me, my initial reading of this was very difficult because I, I, you kind of get, get in that mindset of, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. His steadfast love endures forever, I get it. You know, but this, word, this phrase, steadfast love, it's actually one word in the Hebrew and it's quite complex. We really don't know how to interpret it the best way. And so some translations say his faithful love. Some translations say steadfast love. Some translations say um, just his love. We don't know what to do, so they just leave it as love. And, and so the word, though, is important because it communicates this ongoing commitment and covenant loyalty that God has for his people. And so I like what Robert Davidson, one scholar, says. He says this. He says, when applied to God, this word speaks of a divine commitment and loving concern which 
remains unchanging in the face of all of human frailty and fickleness. And then another scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says this, It is referring to Yahweh's abiding covenantal loyalty and fidelity to His people. This word could actually be summed up like this. His love doesn't quit. It doesn't quit. And this love is a loyal one. It doesn't quit. It doesn't go away. That's His steadfast, enduring love. His loyal love. And so quite literally, this psalm is the hymn of God's loyal love. And so again, 26 times, it's hard to get through. I get it, I get it, I get it. But I think that's part of the problem is we want to rush through these texts that are highlighting something important. This is about His loyal love for us. I get it, I get it. But that's not the question whether you get it. The question is, do you relish it? Do you believe it? Do you know it? In your heart, mind, soul, and body. The, repeti the repetition is meant to reinforce His love into our hearts and minds and develop thankfulness out of that. That's the question is, do I relish it? It's at this point where we're going, look, this whole thankfulness stuff and His love, I, I, I do get it, but I don't buy it right now. Cody, are you looking around at 2020? Large and small things have been completely dismantled and destroyed and chaos is ensuing in our country and in our world. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be thankful? And thankfulness is very hard right now. It is. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost jobs or have had a pay cut. Some of us have had to suspend a much needed vacation. Some of us are trying to figure out what the holidays are going to look like. You know, do, do, we, do we take those risks? Do we not? If we do, what does that look like? You know, what if, what if somebody gets sick and what if it's my fault? You know, all of these questions make things very difficult. And so it's in these situations of difficulty where we really struggle to buy this idea of being grateful, being thankful. And we struggle to do this because, again, of the situations we're in, like COVID-19, or maybe outside of COVID-19, other things that are disrupting our lives. Maybe we are in, a, in not an emotionally healthy place and we're wondering if God is even hearing us. How am I supposed to give thanks in that? And so we begin to have those doubts, those skepticisms that, okay, things are not good. It's hard for me to be thankful. And it almost feels disingenuous to say, be thankful, you know. But the thing is about Scripture is that it's not telling us to ignore the reality. It's not telling us to be optimistic and be thankful anyways. That, that, no, no, that's not quite it. Again, thankfulness is a way of seeing things in a redemptive light. It's not pretending things aren't bad. God doesn't tell us to call good things, bad things, and bad things, good things. No, it's about seeing them in a different lens. The redemptive work of God, that His hand is still involved in that work, whether it's easy to see or not. And so we struggle because of our situation. And then we also struggle with this idea of giving thanks and His loyal love, perhaps because we don't feel like we deserve it. Perhaps we feel like if He knew who we truly are in our soul, the things that we think, the things that we do, the things that we've done, there's no way he, His loyal love would be for me. We're used to living in a culture of non-committal. We're used to living in a culture that, that doesn't keep its word. And so this idea of God's loyal love may sound foreign to us. But here's the thing. He knows you. He hears you. He knows everything about you. And that can be disrupting. Yet, He knows us. He knows our hearts. Yet He remains faithful in His love to us as we trust in Jesus. He accepts us in Christ, based on Christ's works, not our own works. That's the gospel. 
We are accepted in Christ. He's never going to leave, never going to forsake us. His steadfast love endures forever. That's the point of this. In fact, Paul, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, he says this, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present or nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, nothing. His loyal love is for you in Christ. And so when we look at this, we shouldn't dismiss the hardships, but we should find gratitude and thankfulness in that. We should. And so this psalm, it's an invitation to a pilgrimage, to a journey and process of developing thanksgiving. This isn't just going to happen overnight. In fact, when we look back at these stories, the creation event and the days after the creation event, when we look into the exodus, the wilderness, when we look into the warfare of God's people, it is ugly. And it is filled with complaint, skepticism, and doubt. People getting angry at God, confused at God, God getting disrupt God getting angry about the disruption of his people it's it's nasty history and so they're looking back and they're going look at everything God has brought us through even in our fallenness in fact there's a passage as it moves on it moves from the past into the present as it says in verse 23 I think it's 23 it is he who remembered us in our low estate so it transitions from the past to the present. He has remembered us in our lowest state. This word lowest state likely means that they are wrestling with spiritual issues and sinful issues in their own moment. Yet because they have looked back to God's works, they have, they have understood and felt His loyal love. And so it's moving them out of the situation that they're facing now. They're, it's moving them away because what happens, moving them away from sin, because what happens is when is when we gravitate away from God, we gravitate away from thanksgiving. And then we'll live a life of skepticism, of complaining, all of that. The, the history here and what they were going through, it wasn't easy. It wasn't good days. And so that should be an encouragement. It's not permission to be complaining and disobedient. What this is actually doing is saying, look at the past and don't repeat the ugly, but push forward in faithfulness out of God's faithfulness to us. And I love that idea. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, this is written after the cross. Paul says this, he says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all things, not for, and there's a difference. And there's a difference. And so what do we do with this? How do we conclude this? Well, we need to realize that this psalm and its history and theology is all about moving us towards Jesus. I want to end where we began, talking about how this song was shouted at the last, after the Passover feast. Now we know that Jesus' Last Supper, that was their Passover feast. And we know that Mark and Matthew tell us that they sang a song, they sang a hymn, and then they went to the garden. If they were in keeping with their history and identity, it was probably Psalm 136 that Jesus sang right before he was arrested the hymn of God's loyal love. And this hymn would be embodied in the work of Jesus. It would be expressed 
by his activity on the cross and then proven by the resurrection that his steadfast love endures forever and that Christ he has made us a new creation he has led the new exodus out of our sin and bondage to sin and freedom and life he leads us through the wilderness and he himself has given us victory over over the things that seek to destroy us and not only that but Jesus himself doesn't only provide daily bread he is the bread and so he is literally the embodiment of Psalm 136 and so with that my challenge for you is to find ways to integrate this into your life this week create your own Hillel with the stanza his steadfast love endures forever you know, for some of you guys, this, psalm, this sermon might sound familiar because I recently taught it. I taught it on July 26th, and that was the day that my mom had unexpectedly passed away. And this psalm since then um, has kind of been a, a Hillel of my own. And this is what it might be able to look like in your life, but for me, it's been, though I am confused and hurt, and struggling at times with my mom's loss, his steadfast love endures forever. So in a similar way, I'm gonna encourage you to do that. I'm gonna encourage you to put in your own great Hillel, followed by his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your loyal love. Help us become more like Jesus and develop gratitude as this psalm moves us to, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll see you next week. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for checking us out and listening to the podcast. We hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. We invite you to share this episode and leave us a review to let us know how we are doing and sharing the gospel in our cultural climate. Be sure to check us out online at thetablechurch.us.